Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knutson had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. I have a periodic co-host on the show, Chris Knutson, who's not here with me today. But he is here with me periodically. He's actually located in Europe, so he kind of visits civil engineering projects and focuses on a lot of professionals on that side of the world, and I do a lot of the work here in the U.S. So we're trying to make this obviously a global show, just like the industry of civil engineering is global. In today's episode, I'm going to speak with Will Schneier, who's the Chief Executive Officer of Big Red Dog Engineering and Consulting. The main focus of today's conversation with Will is really going to revolve around business development, which is one of his specialties, and and I've got the chance to meet Will before and hear him talk on this topic, so I'm really excited to get to to talk to him again. But we're also going to talk a little bit about how he started the company, some of their projects. I have a couple of questions about his routine and and his approach to the day, so there's a lot for us to cover, and and I'm excited to, to really dive into it. And just one note before we start the interview, I met Will in the past because he came to our engineering career summit that we had down in Austin. And I just want to throw a save the date out there. We're going to be doing our summit this year down in New Orleans, uh, May 12th to 14th. And we're actually going to put a new part into the summit where we're going to do like like TEDx talks. We're going to do like engineering career summit X talks. So I'm super excited about that. So save the day for that one. And if you want to recap anything that Will and I talk about, all you got to do is go to civilengineeringpodcast.com, click on the button that says show episodes by topic and look for business development. All right, so with that, let me let me give Will a formal introduction here so you can learn a little bit about him before we dive in. Will Schneier is a licensed professional engineer and the chief executive officer of Big Red Dog Engineering and Consulting. Will received his Bachelor's of Science in Civil Engineering from Purdue University and co-founded Big Red Dog Engineering and Consulting in 2009. Since starting the firm in 2009, Big Red Dog has grown to over 100 team members with offices in Austin, Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio. Big Red Dog has garnered awards for being one of the 50 fastest growing companies in Texas from Business Journal's Fast 50 in 2012, 13, 14, 15, and also an ENR Top 100 design firm in Texas and Louisiana for the same amount of years of those four years. Also recently, they were ranked number 26 on the Zwig Group Hot Firms list for 2015. This list ranks 100 fastest growing architecture, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting firms in the United States in Canada. So that's that's a phenomenal achievement. Will's also been responsible for the project management, engineering design, and regulatory permitting of hundreds of single-family subdivision projects, mixed-use and multifamily residential developments, industrial facilities, and oil and gas development projects throughout Texas. He's the author of two publications, Land Subdivision, A Practical Guide for Central Texas, and the book on license agreements in the city of Austin, which I'm going to dig into him with because we always talk about being an author and kind of elevating your level of expertise. So with that, Will, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm grateful that you came on, Will. I know you're super busy and we're going to dive right in here. And I'd like to just kind of maybe you can tell us about your career path. Obviously, you have a lot of experience in, in land development. So you know we kind of know you focus there. But how did you go through your career and then decide to start this company, which has grown so fast. I mean, you're a young guy, so it seems like you've done a lot in a short period of time. Well, like many engineers, I 
knew I wanted to be an engineer coming out of high school. I didn't quite know my discipline. Uh, and when I was selecting colleges, my criteria were big-time football and basketball programs with a good engineering school was the third criteria. <laughs> I was very fortunate to end up at Purdue University, which fit all three of those bills. And fortunately, several years later, the best fit was the engineering program at Purdue that really did wonders for, for my career and my preparation for my career. I actually started as a chemical engineer at Purdue uh, simply because as a high school senior, I looked at the highest starting salaries among engineers and chemical engineer, I think, was 120 at the time. And I thought, that's me. I want to be a chemical engineer. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be the rich guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing because I did the same exact thing. I looked at the list of salaries and I was like, oh, I wonder what a chemical engineer does. I didn't even ask that. I just said, that's what I want to be. And that lasted about a year. And I ended up, from there, I went to mechanical engineering. And I enjoyed mechanical engineering, but it was, the schooling part of it, at least, was very theoretical and didn't really jive with what I thought I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I had a, a great advisor at the time at Purdue who recommended civil engineering. And he recommended it on the premise of, you know, this is the engineering discipline where you will be able to use your people skills. You will be able to use your communication skills. You're not going to, you have more likelihood of being a manager or a project manager or a client facing individual in civil engineering than you do in many other disciplines. And that was fortuitous advice for me. I am grateful that I got a civil engineering degree. I graduated in 2004 from Purdue and started my career in Austin at that point with a local civil engineering firm, and I learned a lot at that company that I worked for. Uh, they taught me how to be a land development consultant, but how to win work, how to get yourself in front of clients, how to position yourself in your firm as the most able provider. So that was a great experience for me. Hey, Will, just real quick, like on that topic, you know, I know when you get so either your first civil engineering job or, you know, your first couple of jobs, it's really important, I think, as to where you ultimately go in your career. And, you know, people ask me all the time, should I start with a small company, big company, all these different questions. I, I guess the question is when you started, you know, some of your first couple of positions, what would you say, you know, you just kind of said you learned a lot from them. Was there something about the company or, you know, something about the opportunity that really helped you to learn in that situation? Yes. Uh, the company was a fast growing company at the time, not unlike Big Red Dog today. So I was exposed to, well, I, didn't, I had never really understood what land development or site development engineering was uh, prior to coming out of college. You know, you learn civil engineering, but you don't learn land development. Right. And I, my very first boss, he was a tremendous mentor. You know, my first day of work, he said something along the lines of, you know, fancy degree from Purdue University, you think you know everything. Well, let me tell you, you don't know anything about land development. <laughs> and he was right. I mean, that, so I started at zero. I could do the math, but that was about it. And just being exposed, you know, they were fast growing at the time. Land development is a fast moving industry. Right. You have to be on your toes. You constantly have to be absorbing and processing and reacting to new information. And uh, that firm happened to expose me to more clients and more projects than I could have hoped for as a young engineer. I was very far removed from being left in a cubicle alone. And for that, I'm very grateful. 
Okay. Well, that's a good point. It sounds like, you know, for those of you out there that are younger listening to this and maybe have to think about whether a company might be a good fit or not for you, you know, client exposure, thinking about being able to get exposure to clients as a young civil engineer is invaluable. I mean, I'm, I'm in a very similar position as well because I, I graduated and I knew nothing about land development and, and that's that was my focus. I got into land development and I said, geez, I wish they would have had, you know, a land development 101 course in college and they didn't. So I had to learn a lot. I mean, for me, there was a lot of different disciplines in the company, which was also helpful because obviously in land development, you got to deal with these different disciplines. But I think that that's, a, that's kind of an important thing there that, that we'll allude to. Obviously, we're going to get into business development, but I would say, you know, getting that client exposure is pretty important, right, Will, early on? Big time. There's no way I had the subsequent career progression to date that I've had without that exposure. To a large extent, your clients become your mentors and your trainers. I mean... Yes, you have engineering mentors in the firm you work for, but getting client exposure allows you to start to see how a client thinks, how you need to anticipate their needs. If you pay attention to those cues, you know, that can act as a slingshot effect in your career as a young engineer. All right, so you you had some of these jobs as you were younger. When when was it will that you start to thought about the possibility of starting your own firm? From a young age, I knew I wanted to own my own business. I didn't know that that was going to be an engineering firm. But starting in about 2006, at the time I was two and a half years out of school, that is when the the itch really got more pronounced for me in wanting to run run my own business. And in 2006 at the time, the market was very frothy, if you'll recall. So I assumed I was too young, didn't know enough, wasn't a PE, you know, maybe... 2010 or 2012 or 2014 might be the year to target to open up a, a new firm, you know, once I had more experience. Yep. And then for better or for worse, you know, end of 2008, early 2009, the market really struggled and declined, you know, even in Texas, it declined significantly. Over half of our workload was gone within a matter of 90 days. Wow. And 90 days after that, almost our whole team was laid off just for lack of revenue from the company. This was January, February 2009 timeframe. So I played golf with a couple of my buddies for about two months. (laughs) And uh, we basically needed to find something cheaper (laughs) than playing golf. (laughs) Something cheaper to do with our time than spend $50 playing golf. So we decided, well, let's go start an engineering firm. Wow. And so May of 2009, we opened our doors with three co-founders you know, really forced to because of the market conditions. And that was a tough time when you're in the throes of it. Looking back at it six years later, it was really a blessing. Being at the bottom of a market is an outstanding time to start a firm because there's no barrier to entry. Sure, there's a shortage of work, but, you know, the more aggressive, cost-conscious firm will be able to, to capitalize on a lot of those project opportunities. But you also, we said, you know, in May of 2009, the first month we were open, we may not have any revenue, we may not have any profit, but that makes us, you know, we're setting up, setting ourselves up for a better trajectory than our clients who were in business, who have debt, you know, who have bad accounts receivable that they can't collect, who are laying people off and destroying any goodwill that they had built up with the employees. So in that regard, it was very fortunate. You know, 2009 was still a tough year. Uh, We made between the three of us, less than less than six figures of total revenue in 2009. Wow. So very, very modest uh, success that first year. 
The second year, we had over $600,000 in revenue. Wow. This year, we'll have almost $15 million in revenue six oh, years my later. Oh, goodness. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you. Well, if you don't mind me asking, how old were you when you started the company? I was 28 years old. Wow. That is absolutely amazing. I want to emphasize that. I mean, I knew you were young, but I, I mean, we have a lot of listeners of the show that are very young and they have aspirations. And I think that that is, uh, it's amazing. I mean, you could see, for those of you out there listening, I mean, this is someone that was laid off or out of work, golfing, decide that, you know, I'm going to start a company and, you know, what is it, six years later, uh, it's a $15 million in revenue. So that's that's just a, a huge accomplishment. Well, again, congrats. Thank you. It's uh, You wake up and you pinch yourself every day to make sure it's still real. It's been a remarkably fun ride. We're having a great time. So, Will, let's talk a little bit about, before we get into, because I want to ask you a little bit about some of the projects you guys work on. My friend Bailey works there. Obviously, you know, we've talked about Bailey before, and he's a member of our community. And he, you know, I talked to him a lot. And he said, it's just a great culture. You guys are growing fast. You got a lot of exciting things going on. Talk to me about, you know, you're a civil engineer, you're playing golf, you start this company. You know, obviously, you didn't know a ton about running and building a company, and you've built it very quickly, very reputable firm. Tell us about how you learned. Was it like learning a lot on the fly? What was, what is it like? I was fortunate. In my upbringing, my father was a very successful businessman that I learned a lot of the the business principles and the communication principles through osmosis just by being his son uh, and watching him run his business dealings. Me and a couple of my co-founders, we had management minors in engineering school. So I got a management minor from the business school at Purdue, which I would encourage any engineering student that's still in university now you know, I know you have a big workload, but get yourself over to the business school and take a few of those classes and it'll pay huge dividends. And they'll be like electives for you, honestly. They'll be much easier than your thermodynamics or your linear circuit analysis or your structural <laughs> analysis class. It's, it's accounting. It's all made to add up. <laughs> so I'd encourage your listeners to, uh, to pursue that track. Once we got into, into our careers, the three founders and our subsequent shareholders that have since come on, you know, we, we had mentors. We absorbed everything we could from them, both good and bad. You know, we learned the good things and emulated the good things, but we learned where they struggled or why their careers were struggling or, you know, for whatever reason, a specific incident happened to them in their careers. And you start to pay attention to those things and learn from them. And then you constantly have to have a, an attitude of learning or a yearning to learn and to read and to have mentors and constantly be surrounding yourself by people who are smarter than you, who have built bigger companies faster than you. If you're the smartest guy in the room, you're only helping the rest of the guys in the room. You need to find the room where you're the greenest guy and spend time in there and learn from those other people and those players in the room. You know, that, that goes for any career path, not just engineering, but Find a room where you're not the smartest guy and hang out there for a while and you'll, you'll absorb a lot and learn a lot. That's interesting. And then, you know, it's a lot of trial, trial by error too, Anthony. You know, we haven't done everything perfectly, but we're very open about what we're doing. We try to justify what we're doing with, with real data. We are engineers at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, with real sympathy and empathy for the people who are affected by our decisions. So the advantage that your listeners and engineers have in general is they're competing with other engineers. So if you can put 
a skill set in your bag that includes business development, that includes management, whether it's management of the firm, management of the client, management of the projects, or man even management of the design resources on a single team. You know, find where you can develop those skills, and that will pay huge dividends. Hey, Will, before I ask you to talk about one of your projects, I know you've, you've authored a couple of books, like I, I said when I read your bio, and, and we always talk about the importance of, you know, especially if you're going to, whether you own a company or just you want to uh, develop kind of your expertise and credibility as an engineer, you know, having an authority like that where you've written the book or, you know, you've written a guideline is important. Where along your career kind of progression did, did that happen? And, and was there anything that specifically, you know, made that come about? The both articles that I've had published were published uh, as part of conferences that I was asked to speak out, speak at, and as part of presenting, okay. you had to present. You had to present a published article. It was more of an academic type conference, or one of them, in, at least, was a bar association conference, an attorney conference uh, for real estate attorneys. So that you know. Big thing there is credentials and qualifications. So the article had to be published before you presented it to the Bar Association. That was the land subdivision hmm. paper. And um, why I started writing in the first place, you know, you cannot, as engineers, we cannot, we think we produce construction drawings. We think we produce engineering plans or engineering designs. But you produce those engineering plans, those engineering drawings, you still have a report attached to them. You still have a cover letter attached to them. You still have to have a narrative that accompanies those plans that somebody can pick up in 10 years and understand your thought process and your design process. You know, you can't just pick that up by looking at the end product. So nothing we do as engineers, we think we don't write, but nothing you deliver to a client who's paying you a lot of money comes without a written accompaniment to it. So you, you must learn to write in order to communicate effectively. The power of the written word as you put your thoughts down on paper. I'm very big on goal setting. You ask how I prioritize my day, and we'll get to that. But one of the things I do is I'm constantly setting goals for the day, for the week, for the year, for the next 10 years. You know, we have a 10-year-out business plan for the company. And then you boil it down into what am I going to do this hour? What am I going to do in the next half an hour to make make me progress further towards my goals. And that's writing, you know, writing papers is writing. Reading and writing is a skill set that many engineers lack and you cannot get into management without being strong in both of them, in my opinion. No, it's, I agree 100%. And I, I always laugh when I talk to engineers that say, well, you know, I decided to go into engineering because I didn't like writing or speaking. And I tell them, I'm like, you know what, then you probably shouldn't have become at least a civil engineer because, you know, you're in the wrong industry if you don't want to write and speak. All right. So let's shift gears a bit. We'll get into business development in a minute, but briefly just give the audience an idea of one project that you might be working on just so they can understand a little bit more about the company and get a feel for it. We've worked on hundreds of projects since we started the firm in 2009. A couple of noteworthy ones uh, in 2012. Uh, we did a new 200-acre office complex for Halliburton in San Antonio. Wow. That project got best overall uh, real estate deal in San Antonio in 2012. So that was a, a huge deal down there. And in Austin, you know, we're doing a handful of very, very prominent and high-profile jobs. Probably one of the, the most public is the Waller Creek redevelopment. Uh, Waller Creek is it's a creek running through the east side of downtown Austin from Lady Bird Lake, which is the 
southern edge of our downtown district, all the way up to the University of Texas, which really forms the northern boundary of Austin's uh, downtown area. And Waller Creek has had flooding problems for as long as Austin has been a city, and the city had really turned its back on Waller Creek, essentially delegating it to the role of drainage ditch and not an amenity at all. Restaurants turn their back to it. You know, the convention center turns its back to it. It's just something you want to avoid. And uh, our Waller Creek project changes that mindset and is, is really creating an amenity that the city will open up its front porch to. There will be, you know, it'll be a, a constant level creek. There will be uh, riparian features. There will be dense vegetation. There will be fish. There will be wildlife. There will be a handful of pedestrian bridges spanning it at various locations along its reach. And it's probably a 10-year project. The client is the Waller Creek Conservancy. The lead landscape architect is Michael Van Valkenburg out of New York City. And the local landscape architect, great friends of ours, are DWG, Daniel Woodruff Design Group. And uh, we're thrilled to be part of the team, and we're thrilled to be working on it for the next 10 years. By the time the project is done, a significant portion of the eastern part of downtown will be out of the floodplain, and they will have a an amenity that attracts you know residents and tourists alike on their doorstep. Wow. So the sheer impact in terms of economic redevelopment that is going to occur in downtown Austin as a result of the, the project's efforts is really unfathomable. I mean, it, it opens up a quarter of downtown to be redeveloped in the fastest growing city in the country. So wow. it's quite, quite the project. I could just hear the uh, the drainage engineers right now listen to this show saying it's probably like <laughs> it's a dream project, but that that's awesome. Those, <laughs> those are uh, big time projects. All right, listen, let's let's transition into what you know we originally invited uh, Will on here to talk about, which is business development. And I know myself from talking to CEOs in the civil engineering world that. You know, if you're a civil engineer, you've got your technical background, and then you have that ability to go out and bring in business to the firm, it's pretty much going to be, you know, your fastest ticket to move up the company, maybe to become a shareholder, which is the goal of a lot of civil engineers. And I know, obviously, well, I think we all know at this point from talking to Will for just a few minutes here, that business development is something that he's really good at, which is why his company went from, you know, $600,000 to $15 million in revenue. So, Will, I know there's a lot to we can cover on business development, but let's just get into it and talk a little bit about, you know, how you started to develop your business development skills when you recognized, you know, how powerful of a skill it was. Sure. Uh, that first year we were in business is when I learned because I I had no choice. I had to succeed, or I was you know broke with nowhere to no way to pay my bills. I had no choice but to be successful. And when you put yourself in that position, that's the number one way. To learn. I mean, I, it was either learn it or fail, and failure wasn't an option. The first thing I tell young project managers or young people in our company, if they want to be successful in business development, is you have to change your mindset. You're not going out there to get work for you or for your firm. You have to go out there in the course of you having that objective in the back of your mind. You have to give leads and work to other people. So the first bullet point, if I had to sum it up, is you have to help other people win enough work or give away two to three times more to other people than you expect to get in return. It creates a, a goodwill system. They get the work. They want to help you out. They want to refer you to other people. 
they deem you as a team player and not someone who's out just for yourself. So that first year was a, was a humble year for all three of us because, you know, we'd go to a lunch or to an event or ask someone out to lunch and, you know, talk about us or, you know, hand our business card to them if we were at an event. And that's not business development. You know, at the very, at the very best, that's not, that's networking, but it's certainly not business development. You have to figure out how you can help the guy you're talking to in every situation you're in. And, you know, it's like a farmer. You, you're, you're sowing seeds that you can come back and reap later. You have to sow so many seeds that you forget about them in order to create that successful business development windfall coming back toward, to you. Well, um, by the way, I'm glad you said like that's networking because I think people confuse the two. They think that if they – I love it when I talk to an engineer and say, oh, yeah, I did my networking. I went to the XYZ uh, dinner the other night. And I got 10 business cards are sitting on my desk and, you know. They think that they've done their networking, quote unquote, and that they can, you know, keep going. And I, I think it's a, it's a good distinction that, you know, it's not the same thing at all. No, they networked. Now they need to take the 10 business cards and they need to set up 10 lunches. Then from those 10 lunches, they need to set up, you know, two or three follow-up things from each of those lunches. Now you have 20 or 30 action items and it just builds on yourself like that. So then your 10 business cards, even if they turn into one project, pay for themselves. But collecting the 10 business cards to add them to a, you know, an email spam list isn't going to do you any good. Right. You know, and when you talk about multiple touches of a prospect, so many engineers are, you know, risk averse, rejection averse, and so many real estate developers or people who hire engineers, you know, they're risk averse too. They want to make sure they're getting somebody who's going to be able to do the job and you know, be competent and make them look good in the eyes of their superiors and that, or in the eyes of their stakeholders, whether it's the taxpayers or investors or managers or what have you. So you're never going to walk into a room or even to an interview at that point if you haven't seen the guy before and come out with a, a contract or a project. You know, it's not unheard of to take 10, 20, 30 touches of a prospect before they pick up the phone and ask you for a proposal. And those touches range from you know, initial meetings where you exchange business cards to lunches to, you know, seeing each other again at another event to serving on the same boards or commissions that these people serve on to speaking on the same panels, you know, for industry events, whether it's engineering career coach or something else, you know, sending them your marketing materials, uh, sending them project leads, sending them potential sites to develop. You have to constantly be tapping them on the shoulder and saying, hey, you know, here's some good information, here's some good stuff, or otherwise getting your name in front of them and staying at top of mind. You know, it's not a winning work is not an isolated incident or an isolated event. It is a the culmination of multiple things that you do successfully that leads to winning work. Hmm. So multiple touches, you know, you got to touch them 10 times, 20 times and, and before you start to see results. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I think what happens to a lot of civil engineers, especially younger civil engineers, is they go to a couple of these networking events, they talk to a couple of people, they go back to their office, and they expect somebody's going to call them and give them a job or something, and then they just say, well, geez, I'm not good at this networking stuff. I went to it, I got a couple of cards, and nothing happened. And I think that the point you just made is really good because, I mean, obviously, you've got to take some action, but even if you call the person once or call them twice or meet them once, it doesn't mean that they're going to put a job in your lap. You've got to give to that person, like Will said, and you've got to stay in touch with these people. I mean, really, you're building you know, strong relationships that you want to kind of grow for years to come. It's not about 
going to this event and thinking that things are just going to automatically happen. That's 100% true. And Anthony, you hit on something just now about you got to give away. You know, one of the, the best things we do is we give away something of value to a prospect, whether it's a, you know, a utility assessment or a due diligence report or, you know, an impact fee calculation. Give them something of value that someone else wants to charge them for, but costs you almost nothing to prepare. And as part of that, give them a means to ask for more where the relationship becomes a paid relationship. You know, as an engineer, you don't make money on due diligence. You don't make money on cost estimates. You make money on full projects, designing full buildings, designing full sites. You got to help your client get his project from here's a piece of dirt. What can I do to here's the construction loan? Let's go get started. You have to be willing to give away something of value in order to prove yourself and in order for them to have a means to ask for more of it where they can pay you. Hmm. So not just giving away leads and, and helping you know other consultants or other professionals find their business development opportunities, but to your direct prospects. you know, Don't think you're going to start with a proposal. You're going to start with something that adds value to them that you lose money on and give to them for free. That builds the relationship. That builds the trust. Then you start discussing the project in detail. And if he's talking to you about the project in detail, I can guarantee you he's a busy man. He's not talking to another engineer about the project in detail. Hmm. If he's confident in what you're doing and what you're telling him and what you're providing, he's not going to go second guess you and look at another firm for the same information. Hey, Will, I remember when you spoke at our event in Austin, you said something that was interesting and it was along the lines that of some of the stuff you're saying now, that when you go into a meeting with a prospect, a lot of times you'll literally give them $10,000 worth of engineering advice or you know something about a piece of property that you know, whether it's a wetland or something there, to the point where the person's almost like, you know, if this guy's giving me $10,000 worth of advice and I'm not even paying him, you know, what is it going to look like if I actually hire him? Is that something that you try to do, give him that kind of advice? Absolutely. We, you know, as land development consultants, we have a, several rules, but one of the rules is you must add value to the deal. You know, if you don't increase the value of the project or increase the value of the relationship with your client through expertise, through sharing your knowledge, through authority in the city that you're working in, you know, they will find somebody will add value. And if it's not you, they will find the person who adds value to the deal. That's one of our rules of land development is, you know, whether you want to be a partner in the firm or you want to be someone's engineering consultant, you know, on their next project, you must add value to the deal. You must bring in to the company or to the client's office more than you expect to take out of it, whether you want to be a partner or the client's engineer. So yes, absolutely. Giving $10,000, I mean, think about, that sounds like a huge number, you know, to, even to an employee making 50000 or $60,000 a year, that is a huge number. But to the guy who's going to sign up a quarter million dollar engineering services contract, $10,000 is scratching the surface. You know, that's not much risk in order to have the opportunity for the next $250,000. So, Will, if I'm a, if I'm a civil engineer, I'm, I'm working, I'm doing design work, and I really want to get into business development. Obviously, there's a lot of tips you just gave that people can do and add value and build those relationships. But how do you approach it with your company? Like, would you recommend that they maybe go to their manager and say, listen, I'm really interested in getting involved in business development. Can I, can I go to meetings with you? Or, you know, what do you recommend? 
Well, I can only speak to how we would want it to be done in our company, Anthony. You mentioned Bailey earlier. Mm-hmm. We got you know a dozen more that are very similar to Bailey, and it's those people are the stars in our organization because they step up and they do the business development almost proactively. You know, if you if you are a young engineer and you think a boss is going to give you some sort of blessing to go do business development, I think you're mistaken. You need to be more proactive. You need to be willing to do it and you need to show results. And ultimately, you will take that role. And if someone takes offense to what you're doing, maybe that's not the place you need to be. You know, maybe they're not secure enough with their own careers to have some young buck coming up behind them, you know, outperforming them or winning more work than them. I can tell you, you know, at one point I was the best salesman at Big Red Dog. There are 10 people in this company that are better salesmen than me today. And there are 20 that are better project managers than me today. And I love that. You know, that right. that means the company has gotten beyond me and the co-founders and the other partners. And that should be the objective of any, you know, small and growing firm. So, Will, is this a message, not necessarily just business development, but like just creating value for clients? Is that something that you guys really kind of try to get out to your employees through everything you do? Yes, absolutely. Every other Tuesday, we have a what we call Big Red Dog University session. And uh, many of those focus on client, client service, customer service, business development. You know, the, the best business development tactic that any firm has is to do good work for their current clients. If you can't keep your current clients happy and coming back, it makes no sense for you to try to go out and win new clients. Focus on the ones you got first. Once they're happy, once they're coming back, then look into business development. So if we take a step back, Anthony, for a young engineer, the first step is the clients you're assigned to, make them like you, make build a relationship with them such that they keep coming back to you. Over time, that leads to referrals from those clients to other clients. You know, People leave your clients' firms to start their own firms or to go to other real estate companies. All of those relationships transfer to the engineer that had them, whether or not the client changes companies. Hmm. So start off by doing good work for your current clients. Then, as a young engineer, then you can parlay that into business development. So we're going to shift gears because I want to ask Will just a few more questions before we let him go. He's been gracious with his time. But just real quick to summarize a couple of those points for those of you out there who really want to get into business development. As Will said, it's about helping other people in whatever way, getting work, you know, just helping, be giving value to people, you know, always giving value out, which I think is an important thing to take away from this. You want to make your clients look good. I mean, if you can do that, that's, you know, giving them that value. You need to have a lot of touches with people. So don't think you're going to go to, you know, an ASCE dinner and then you're going to get two, three projects. You're going to have to talk to people 10, 20, 30 times potentially before you start to bring in new work. And I think also just to remember is that everything you do is a reflection upon you and your company and an opportunity for business development in the future. So I know for me, when I used to present to a planning board, a lot of times we would get projects because people were sitting there and they weren't getting the kind of presentations from their engineers in the room and they would just call us up and say, you know, we love the way that you presented. So I think you have to remember that, you know, like Will said, you got to develop those skills, the writing skills, the speaking skills, the communication skills you got to give value. I mean, really, I think that's that's a really good way to sum up kind of the whole idea of business development. So with that, Will, let's switch gears. And I got a few more questions for you. And I know you said, you, know, you mentioned before you're big on goals, which is great. 
my question for you is going to be, is there any specific rituals that you practice on a daily basis? Like, do you do certain types of tasks in the morning and afternoon or anything like that that you do regularly? Yes. Well, I organize the following day before I leave the office on the current day. And then the first thing I do when I hit the office in the morning uh, is I, I go through my priorities for the day. I figure out you know what must be done first, and it typically is the most painful thing. So one of the suggestions I would I would offer to avoid procrastination is the worst thing on your agenda for the day, do it first. Get it out of the way. Then your your day gets that much better rather than having to dread the thing you don't want to do for the whole day. And oftentimes when you dread something and you procrastinate, you push it off to the next day and the next day and the next day. But I always start my day uh, prioritizing what needs to be first, what can be delegated, what's not on fire and can just be pushed. And I go from there. Company-wide rituals, I meet with every one of our presidents and vice presidents on a, at least every other week basis and go over our metrics and our meeting agenda. And then annually, we start our business planning for the following year in May of the current year, and it doesn't end until October. Wow. So at the business plan we adopt in October really is the kickoff for the next fiscal year. You know, by the time we're into June, July, August of a current year, we've pretty much either executed or missed our business plan goals. So, you know, we biweekly or monthly basis and then annual rituals that, that I follow quite dependably. That's great. Another question I have is, what, is there a book that you recommend to people regularly or one that you've like one specific book that maybe stands out that's been extremely helpful for you in your career development? That's a great question. I am a voracious reader. I read everything I can get my hands on. Amazon sends a box to my house every week with a new set of books. <laughs> I'm reading several good ones right now. Art Gensler has arts principles out. The chairman of Gensler Architects. I know this is an engineering show. but Oh, wow. That's interesting. No, but for civil engineers, that's probably interesting. Yeah, that's a great, great book. But the one I would say start with, because we're talking about business development, on this podcast today, Anthony, is Never Eat Alone is the title of the book. Keith Ferrazzi. Keith Ferrazzi. That's it. And, uh, you know, that goes back to multiple touches, giving stuff away, helping other people in your network before you expect to be helped yourself. And Keith, in his book, Never Eat Alone, you know, does a tremendous job of breaking that down and laying out the things that you need to be doing, whether it's never eating alone or writing thank you cards once you meet a person or adding people to your mailing list once you meet a person. I'd highly recommend that book. And then for your managers, people in a management role, there's a book called Let My People Go Surfing. It's by the chairman of Patagonia. Hmm. It's really a, a great philosophy and a great approach to managing people. As we talk about millennials and our workforce, our engineering workforce, and particularly getting younger, being able to manage people and manage a group of millennials that are not inherently loyal to a job is going to become a big challenge for the managers of engineering firms. And, you know, that's, you can't do anything about it. You're either going to adapt or you're going to fail, you know, just like starting a company. So Let My People Go Surfing is a great book on philosophy about how to manage people and how to treat people, you know, not just pure business. It's it's very much a good, easy read. Awesome. And I'm just going to add two books just because I made some notes when you were talking and I had Ferrazzi's as one of them, but another one 
There's a book by Bob Berg called The Go-Giver, which is also similar to yeah, the yeah. to Ferrazzi, which is a good one. And then one book that's spectacular that I recommend everybody out there give a read is a book called The Five Laws That Determine All of Life's Outcomes. It's by Brett Harward, and Brett actually spoke at our event in Austin the day after Will spoke, the same event. I can't really even describe the book. It's so good, but the underlying theme of it is the idea, he basically said in his talk that if you want to be successful, the one thing that you have to do is be able to provide value to people. And that's ultimately what, you know, I think a lot of what, you know, Will and I have talked about here today, especially with the business development, is the ability to provide value. So that's something to check out. So, Will, just one last question for you that I always ask the uh, guests here at the end of the show. I call it the civil engineering career elevator advice, and we probably gave about a million different ones already today. But if you got in an elevator with a civil engineer and you had about 30 seconds to give them kind of a plan or some key things to do in their career, what would be a couple of things you would say to them? Learn to communicate effectively, both verbally on the plans you're producing, written word, and in a collaborative environment, you know, with multiple disciplines, multiple review agencies, the client, effective communication is the number one thing you have to career advancement. Number two, don't think you know it all. Be a sponge for new information. You may be a very smart cookie, but I guarantee you there's someone out there who's coming up faster than you and smarter than you who will take it away from you. So always be open to learning new things. And number three, your first job or your current job or your mentor, all of those three things, they play a, a big role in your career progression. If you're not comfortable with your current company, your current boss, find a way to change that situation, whether it's in, the, in your current company or find new opportunities. But you know, life is short. Don't waste your time thinking it's going to get better. You know, actively try to make things better and uh, be in control of your own destiny would be my final bit of advice. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. I know you're super busy and, and I really appreciate you giving this advice out to engineers. All right. So listen, if you're, if you listen to the show, you liked it, all this information we're going to list in our show notes, just go to civilengineeringpodcast.com, click on the categories button and just look for business development. In addition to this show, we will have a couple other shows on business development and hopefully you can use all this information to start to really network and build relationships and, and provide value just like you know, Will and I discussed today. Thanks again for joining us. Until next week, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.